We've been talking a good bit about um, dreaming. So a few weeks ago, we started talking about trying to uh, remember back to all that God has done, to, to be faithful to us, to show us who He is. Um, and as, in light of that, we can look forward to what He wants to do in us and, and how He wants to provide for us as a church. We've talked about seeing Him for who He is, you know, seeing Jesus as King. We talked about hearing His voice and hearing Him and knowing and believing, hearing what He says and trusting Him and giving ourselves fully to Him. Uh, last week we talked about because He's King and all that He's done for us to bring us into His family, we should run back to Him with incredible gratitude and thanksgiving. Um, and so all of these things are meant to fuel who we are as a people, who we are as a church. So when I say that word church, I wonder what comes to your mind. I wonder what you think. What, uh, what comes to your mind when I say church? Who, who is the church? What is the church? Is this building the church? Is this place the church? What, what do we know as church? Um, do this with me. Take your hands a little... Let's, let's do something together, okay? A little song maybe you learned as a child. Kind of put your hands like this. And uh, this little song goes like this. Um, here's the church. Here's the steeple. You know this one, right? Here's the steeple. What? Open the doors and what? Okay, okay. Let's try it one more time. Ready? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Okay. It's a cute little song. But it's not quite true, right? Um should be more like, here's the church, right? And here's the building. Maybe it has a steeple, because where's our steeple? Like, we don't have a steeple, right? I mean, we have, uh, we have a movie theater, right? This is not the church. This can't be the church. Who are we? Of all people, this church should know that the church is not a building, right? I mean, we meet in an old rundown movie theater that used to be a paintball place, and I don't know what else, Right? This is, where, this is where we meet. It's not who we are. We are the church. And I want to encourage you as you think and as you talk. and uh, let's, let's teach each other that truth just as we talk, as we do life. You know? uh, I teach my children that. You know, sometimes they'll be like, Daddy, are we going to church today? I'm like, well, we're going to the building where the church meets. And you say, well, that's crazy. That's, you, you, you say all that? Yeah, we do. Because we want my kids to know that the church is the people of God. It's not, it's not a building. It's not a place. It's the people. So uh, I want to encourage you, as you think, I want you to talk that way. And as we are dreaming about who God wants to make us to be, I don't want us to think solely about this building. Although God's given us a great place and there's a lot we can do here. But there may come a day that we don't meet here. Are you okay with that? And there may be, come a day that this is not the place we gather. Like, what if... What if this is not where we're supposed to be? That's, that's got to be okay. So the church is the people. What kind of people? If, if the building really doesn't matter that much, um, what I want to do is take a couple of weeks to talk about what the church really is and why the church matters. And really, this, people matter. Not the church necessarily as far as the building goes, but the church as far as people goes. It's, it's the people that matter. Jesus says that how we treat people tells a lot about our relationship to God. And he says, if you, if you hate your brother, don't say you love God. Um, 
He says our relationship and our love for one another speaks volumes about our relationship with God. So Jesus says we're to love people with the same kind of love he has shown us. I want to show you a verse in John chapter 13. Um, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Find your Bible if you've got one there nearby. If not, we'll put it on the screen. But John chapter 13. I just want to show you a couple of verses that I want us as a people to put these verses in our hearts. Okay? Uh, this is not just a book. It's not just words on a page. These are truths that are meant to be in our hearts. Who God has made us to be. And there's some specific teaching Jesus gives his disciples. Um, they're gathered together in John 13 and there's an argument going on. You know, the guys are arguing over who's the greatest, who's more important, who's, you know, well, Jesus said I was such and such or, you know, whatever. They're having this argument about who is, who's more special. Meanwhile, while the argument's going on, Jesus gets up, takes off his, his coat, wraps himself in a towel, fills a little bucket with water and, and goes around and grabs Peter's feet. And begins just to wash them. Can you imagine that scene? This argument about who's greater. No, Lord. Not, not my feet. You don't, don't wash my feet, Lord. I should be washing your feet. If I don't wash your feet, you have no place. Well, then wash all of me, right? There, this thing happens where Jesus just lowers himself and serves in a beautiful way. And on the heels of that, Here's what he wants to teach us in John 13, verses 34 and 35. Let's put these words in our hearts. He says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus gives a new commandment. He says, I'm commanding you to love one another. And then he gives a, a qualifier. He says, just as I have loved you. And we could talk a lot about how Jesus loves. I mean, we could go through so many details. He's humble. He's a servant. He's kind. He's truthful. He speaks the truth even when it's hard. And on the backside of that, he's loving and encouraging. We could go on and on and on and on and on about the love that Jesus models. But I just want to put it really tight for us like the Apostle Paul does when he um, sort of takes this same challenge from Jesus and puts it in a little phrase. And he says this, let love be what? Genuine. Let love be genuine. We're going to talk a good bit about that today. So um, when I was a kid, I can remember going to my grandmother's house. And we'd go to grandma's house and um, grandmother and I would sit down at her kitchen table. It wasn't quite this pretty. It was kind of those, one of the ones from the 50s with the little metal legs and the kind of the plastic looking top with the the chairs that were sort of plasticky. Do y'all remember those? So I, I go to my grandmother's house and we would always somehow find ourselves at her kitchen table and we're playing cards. Um, we'd play Go Fish or we would play um, Uno. You know, I was really good at Uno. You just get down to one card and you, you're doing good, right? Uno. Um, my grandmother was great at letting me win. She let me feel like I was good, even though I wasn't. But the whole time, she's just looking at me and talking to me and um, this beautiful thing is happening where even as a child I feel valued and loved and welcomed and wanted 
and I found a lot of safety and security, just a sense of family at her, at her table. Um, and then probably like most of you this week, you know, with Thanksgiving, when we would all, all my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, all, all those crazy family people, we'd all come together at grandma's house and um, she'd have to pull out her card table and another table. And um, then there was a little kid table that I had to sit at. I always wanted to sit at the big kid table, but couldn't, you know, I was, I was the runt. But we're all there at these tables and there's something beautiful happening. Everybody's eating and we're talking, we're having conversation, we're hearing stories, we're laughing. Um, there's something incredible. It's just this sense of family. Anybody experienced that this week? Just this, this beautiful thing with family. And maybe, maybe for you, it's not like aunts and uncles and cousins. Maybe it's just genuine friendships that you have. But there's something incredible that happens um, around the table. When I was uh, in the seventh grade, I, my brother and I had been playing basketball at uh, a local gym and we got we got home that night and we walked in the door and as soon as I walked in the door at my dad's house at, at, at my parents house my dad turns around he hung up the phone he turns around and I see this look in his face that um, I, I just had never seen before um, he just gotten a phone call that my grandmother was hit by a car and killed and um, the memories of that night are, are kind of foggy, but I remember somehow as a family we made our way to the table and we just sat and wept together. We cried, you know. It's the first time I've ever seen my dad just really lose it and weep. And um, we didn't talk a whole lot. It wasn't much to say, you know. We just wept and cried and we were there with each other, for each other. And there was just a raw emotion, a, a moment um, that was real, Right? Um, today in, in my house, my wife and I have, uh, and she's gracious to let me bring all of this stuff from our house, right? Who does that at Thanksgiving, right? Hey, babe, I'm going to pack up the dining room and take it. Um, but this table and chairs has become kind of a special place for us. Like it's a place where on occasion... Um, we, we've discovered that that kind of real life together is hard to come by. Anybody else feel that way? Um, life's busy. There's a lot of individualistic type stuff going on like, uh, you know, I need, to, I, need to, I need to do this. And I need to see what everybody else is doing. I need to surf my phone. And, and every now and then, Lauren will say, let's just put phones away and turn off the TV. Let's have a meal together. Let's come to the table. And it's just this time, man. We sit and, and I look my kids in the eyes and I say, hey, how was school today? And they talk and they tell me. And, and it's beautiful. I love it. And somehow I have to fight for it. Do you feel that way? Um, we're made for that kind of thing. We're made for real relationship with each other. We're made for something more than... Um, surface level relationship um, Facebook and Twitter and, and all these other entities pride themselves on being a network of friends um, but really what they've done is redefine that word right I mean I have so many friends on Facebook that I really don't even know those people and, and the social media stuff 
sells us a, a lie that we're able, you're able to connect with so many people, right? And yet you feel so disconnected. You know, you get off your social media, your connection with people, and you feel so lonely and so isolated. Um, it's crazy how that happens. The, these, these things can't give us authentic relationship. There have been TV shows uh, that have capitalized, made a whole uh, bunch of money, capitalizing on our need and desire for real relationships. So think about it, going back a little bit, but the show Cheers, right? Anybody remember Cheers? Um, it's this kind of bar scene, uh, but it's where people come in, and what's the theme song? Where everybody knows your name, right? You come to a place, and you're there with the people that know you. And there's something about that. And people tuned in for decades to watch these people do life that really know each other. It's radical. Or think about another great show, um, Friends, right? This show was on for decades and it made millions of dollars based on this idea. What's the theme song? I'll be there for you, right? Here's this whole idea. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to watch these people be there for each other. I'm going to spend my time watching other people have a real relationship. Why does that even work? Why do we want to see that? Because deep within us, we have a desire for real relationship with each other. There's something in us that needs it. And there's nothing in this world that meets it. So Jesus is calling us to something unique. He's calling us to be um, not a place, but a people who are unique as a family. So what we believe is that real discipleship can only happen within real relationships. I want you to hear that again. Real discipleship can only happen within real relationship. God intends for us to be in relationship with Him and with others. And we yearn for this kind of relationship. We, we need it desperately. We need people to love us. Warts and all. All of us need that. So there's a lot of metaphors in the Bible for what the church is like, but family is not a metaphor. The church is not like a family. The church is family. Jesus came and died so that we could be adopted by our Creator. So that He can go from being Creator and Judge to being Father. God the Father. And then we have now a new father. And because of that, we can look around you. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can be family, uniquely family. So the church is not just like a family. The church is family. So what kind of family should we be? What should this family look like? How does this family do life together? I want us to take some time and read in, in the book of Acts. So find your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, chapter 2 and chapter 4. So let's go ahead and stand now for the honor, to honor the reading of God's Word. So 
Um, this is the most important thing we'll do this morning is read from this book. And I want us to be inspired by what we read here. And we're, we're looking at the early church. I want you to see some distinctives of who they are, who they tried to be, who they wanted to be. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, proce- the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Flip over a page, the end of Acts chapter 4. It's very similar details here, but I just want us to read it all. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. It says, Now the full number of those who believed, so the church, the church family, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them. And brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Jesus, help us to see what kind of family you are forming. Um, We've just sung some incredible truth about how you are making all things new. God, we need you to do that in us. We need to be made new as a family, as a people who genuinely love each other just as Jesus genuinely loved us. So please, Lord, give us a glimpse today of what that looks like and some really practical ways that we should change what we're doing in order to obey and be who you've made us to be. Lord, open our eyes and help us to have the faith and courage to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to quickly walk through these two texts and draw out some distinctives, just very quickly, just want to make some distinctives and then we'll, we'll give three really practical teaching points. So, um, these people, this early church family, they are devoted to sound teaching. So they're devoted to what they believe. When they come together, it's important, man. They, they come together and they're listening to these apostles teach what they've heard Jesus teach. They come together and they are devoted to this teaching, to the truth. They are devoted to fellowship, to a deep kind of fellowship, a a table kind of life, you know, where um, all the distractions are put away and we look each other in the eyes and we talk through real stuff, like stuff that hurts or struggles or 
We, we have real kind of fellowship. This is not like, a, hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. Well, how are you? I'm fine. That's not fellowship. That's like courtesy. You know, it's just being kind. It's passing each other in the hall and not really knowing what to say. And so we say, how are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. And then we move on. When we talk about fellowship, we're talking about something real that happens. Like maybe you might experience around the table in your home. These guys are devoted to fellowship. It's an intimate kind of community. They're committed to eating together. They're committed to this table time. You know, they, they come together, they break bread, they have a meal. Um, that's special. It's regular. You know, if you're going to eat, we're all going to eat. Let's do it together. I, I wonder, you know, the Bible says that they went from house to house, like breaking bread in each other's homes. And I just wonder among us, how many, if you looked across the room, how many people's homes have you been in? How many people's kitchen table have you sat down in this room? I sat at their table and had a meal and just enjoyed each other's company. No, no agenda, just life together. Like I love you enough to welcome you to our table. Come, come on, let's eat. They ate together. They just did life. They prayed together. As we look through, this is what they did. When they come together, they pray. There's something beautiful and vulnerable about prayer. You know, if, if you're not honest and vulnerable when you pray, it's not praying. You're just speaking words. God knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your struggles. He knows your world. So be vulnerable. Open. Let down the mask. Let down your guard and talk to God. God, I need you today. I'm struggling today. I'm, I'm so tempted to do this or I've struggled with sin. Lord, please forgive me. And they prayed like that with each other. With each other. It's real. They worship. The Bible says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. So when they come together, they sing and they worship and they, they praise God. Do you remember uh, the story of the leper we talked about last week when he was the, the you know, the ten were healed and the one, real, when he realized he was healed, he ran back and with a loud voice, it said, with his megaphone, he was praising God. This is what the disciples did when they came together, when they, became, when they came together as a family. They praised God. He's been good. I love that the Bible tells us that when they gather, they have, they have gospel talk. Like they talk about Jesus. That's beautiful. These apostles that come together, people gather and they just listen. Like I, I, can, I just wish I could be there and listen to these apostles tell some of the stories. You guys should have been there when, when Jesus said this. It was amazing. And Acts chapter 4 says that they, they continually talked about His resurrection, the power of His resurrection. They just brought it up again and again. Guys, He's alive. Why are you discouraged? Don't be discouraged. We've got a hope that's beyond all this discouragement. Our God is alive. They talk about His resurrection. A lot of gospel talk. It wasn't just about the football game or the this or that or whatever life stuff. It was about Jesus. So when the family of God comes together, let's talk about Jesus. There was incredible unity in this bunch. It blows my mind. Acts chapter 4 says when they come together, they were of one heart and one soul. 
I don't think we get all of that because we don't know the dynamic of these people. Okay, we're talking about um, a tax collector, a fisherman. Um, you, you go down the gamut. You, you, got the, you got the people who are the upper echelon of society rubbing shoulders and sharing a meal and dipping their bread together and sharing a cup, <coughs> laughing and cutting up. You're talking about people who would never associate with each other. And all of a sudden, they're family. They would have nothing in common, and yet the Word says they had all things in common. Because the truth is, they had the only thing they needed in common. His name is Jesus. So there's unity. And there's a kind of generosity. We read about this, and it blows my mind. When we read about this kind of generosity, I'm, I'm floored. I'm incredibly convicted. I don't know about you, but I just don't go selling my stuff and giving my money to people. I wonder, hmm, I wonder how generous we would be if Chris Todd were our brother. Think for a minute. If he's your biological brother serving God in, in Lebanon... And he calls you and he says, hey, man, I miss you guys. I love you. Um, hey, we've got a need. Our van is breaking down. It's not safe. You know, we had an issue with it last week. It's leaking oil. It's got these problems. But God's doing some great things. Really just believe in God for a new vehicle. We really desperately need a new vehicle. You think you guys could help us out with that? And if this is your brother, what do you do? You do everything you can because he's your brother. You sell something if you have to, to make it work, right? Our problem is that the reason we're not this generous is because we don't see each other that way. Can we confess that? Can we just repent of that today? That we don't look at one another and go, brother, sister. Like we say that, but it's some kind of weird spiritual brother, sister. It's not like real brother, sister. They had an incredible kind of generosity that just blows me out of the water where they just sell something. You have a need? I got some land over here. I'll just sell it and you can have that. I don't do that. They did. And we should. They had leadership. You know, don't want to miss that detail. You've got the apostles taking the lead when they would sell something. The the, the money would come and they'd lay it before the apostles' feet and then it would be distributed as any had need. So there's, it wasn't just a hodgepodge. There was some leadership. These are some distinctives about this family that we can't miss. So if that's the goal, you know, if this is like hashtag church family goals, then if that's our goal, right, these distinctives, if this is how we're aiming to live, what can we do differently? What are some really practical things and steps we can take to actually live differently? And I want us to talk about these. For us to truly be family, we must be devoted to one another. Apart from this, we've got nothing else. We must be devoted. You know, the reason you can sit down with your mom and your dad and your brothers and your sisters and you can, um, you can say hard things is because they're going to be your brother or they're going to be your sister no matter what. 
Here's the deal. If you can walk away when your feelings get hurt or when you get upset or when you get mad, you're just going to bail on the relationship, then I can't be real with you and you can't be real with me. There's this devotion that's got to be in place for us to be a family, for us to really love each other well. Um, I've got to know that after I tell you that you hurt my feelings and you sinned against me, that you're still with me. That you're still my brother. You're still my sister. Or after you tell me, hey, Justin, man, you really screwed up there. We've got to be able to go, okay, I'm sorry. I love you. And I'm committed to you. There's got to be a devotion. We must be devoted to one another. And uh, Ephesians 5 talks about husbands and wives. And it says there's this beautiful thing that happens. And you know, when, when, when marriages happen, people come together. They stand before a crowd and they recite these vows. They say, I am committed to you. And you, I am committed to you. And they make this devotion, this commitment, this vow in front of a crowd, in front of God, and it's sealed, you know, with a kiss, and it's legal, it's stamped, all these things. Um, and then the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, he says, I'm telling you about husbands and wives because you know what? It's a picture of the church. It's a mystery. It's supposed to be a picture of the church. That's the kind of loving commitment we have to Christ and to one another. We're meant to be that kind of devoted to one another. You know, marriage is hard, right? Who are you most real with, husbands? Who are you most real with, wives? Your spouse, right? You can be that real with them because they're committed to you. And I want to call us to be devoted to one another. Let's don't bail. When things get hard, let's be committed. Secondly, for us to be family, we must love each other genuinely. So we've been using this phrase from John 13, and, and also Paul gives us that phrase in Romans 12. He says, let love be genuine. And Jesus says, love one another just as I have loved you. So there's this kind of um, genuine love I just want to talk for a moment about this word genuine. Um, it's a unique word. It's actually like a negative negative. What Paul's actually saying is he's saying um, love not hypocritically. So the Greek word is hypokritos. It's where we get our word hypocrite. And then he's put this negative on the beginning. So it's like love anti-hypocritically. And the Greek word hypokritos, it comes from theater, like it's acting. Um, they, they had this term about acting, about actors who would play multiple roles. And what, what they would do is they'd have a mask, like this is the, this is the imagery for theater anyways, these masks, right? You've seen the, the little white mask. Well, they'd have these masks that uh, they'd pull out of their pocket and they'd put this mask on and they'd play this part. They act their part. And then they put that mask away and they pull another one out and they play another part. And they put this mask away and they play this part. And they, this one character can actually have a dialogue because he's playing two parts. And uh, the crazy thing is this is where we get our, our word two-face. We're two-faced. We're hypocrites, right? 
So there's this idea of masks and what Paul's saying when he says let love be genuine, he's, he's saying let love be without the mask. Like no mask. Be real. Be your, your real self. Be who you really are. So the, the, the biggest hurdle to us being who we really are is our fear, right? We're, we're afraid. I'm afraid to be me. What if you don't like me? What if you reject me? Or what if I tell you some dark secret about myself that I'm trying to get over and you tell somebody else? Or what if I tell you and you judge me? Like you never look at me the same. These are real fears. And what Paul is saying is, let love be fearless. Be risky. Put yourself out there and then love each other well. That's what family does. It's really the only context that we know of where, where this works. So it is risky, but the risk is worth it. I want to give you just four quick things. So um, we're devoted to each other. We love each other genuinely. And, and four quick things here. People, when you are honest and real with people, people can really know the real you. And you go, well, that's, I mean, duh. But how many people really know the real you? How many people is there no mask? None. People can really know the real you. And that's important because the second reality is this. People can really love you. Now, here's the deal. If you're continually wearing a mask, you can't even receive real love. Because you're going to think, well, they still don't love me because they don't really know me. They like this version of me, but that's not really the real me. Here's the deal. You can't even receive love if you're not putting down the mask. Not only that, you can't show it. You can't extend and give love because the mask is too important. Got to keep this facade. You know, everybody, we, we look at each other's, I'm, I'm going to beat on Facebook again. We look at each other's Facebook stuff or social media stuff and, and life looks beautiful. I'll give you an example. This week, uh, we, did, we did some family pictures and went up to Mount Chiha and we did some family pictures. And you would think, and I mean, you read the comments, people are like, your family's so photogenic. But if you've ever taken pictures with children, you know... That the one picture where everybody's smiling cost you about 30 minutes of, would you just stop that, you know, or whatever. Like, you know that. Like, the, the reality of the situation is we're really not that photogenic. <laughs> Life is really not this beautiful, right? This is a mask. <laughs> okay? Um, funny story. The photographer is a friend of mine, and we're actually driving up to Chiha, and he and I are catching up. We're talking, and... Uh, He's like, man, you guys look great. I love your outfits. Da, da, da. This is going to be good. We're going to have some great pictures. Right when we're about to pull in for our first photo shoot, guess what happens? <coughs> Apparently, Daddy's driving the windy roads a little too fast and a little bit vomits everywhere. <laughs> I mean, all over. Well, that's not in the pictures. Because it, it doesn't make the cut because it's not part of the mask, Right? Got to make sure Facebook land thinks we're beautiful people. Don't want to know who we really are. 
Now that's just a little illustration to, to show you the reality. The reality is we've, we've got to let people know who we are so they can really love who we really are. And the third thing, people, if you're honest, if you love genuinely and you put the mask away, people can really pray for you. And you go, well, what's the what's the significance of that? Well, here's the deal. Prayer is like one of our biggest weapons as the people of God. We can partner with God and beg for power from God to, to help you in your time of need, to rescue you, to, to come to your aid. We can intercede on your behalf if we know you. But no, we, we pray this way most of the time. God, I just really pray you be with my friend, John. Just be with him. But if you knew John, and if John were really honest with you and put the mask away and let himself be known, he would tell you, he would say, hey man, I travel a lot for business with my job. I'm in hotels all over the place. I'm away from my family. And it's a real struggle for me right now to not give in to lust. Like when I get in the hotel room, there's this TV and there's just whatever I want to see. And my eyes, I just got to, I want to walk with the Lord, but I'm just, I'm, I'm failing, man. I don't need to be looking at this garbage. And would you pray for me? Now, do you say, God, would you be with John? Or do you say, Lord, help him to believe the gospel, to know that you're good and the garbage of this world is not. Help him to trust you, Lord. Guard his eyes. Protect him from looking at stuff he shouldn't see. Help him to see the beauty of his family, not to sacrifice um, that beautiful thing for this little bitty moment. Do you hear what I'm talking about? When we really know one another, we can really powerfully pray for each other. But when we don't, when we're not honest, when we're not vulnerable, when we're not family, we just pray little blanket surface prayers. We never get to the heart. <clears throat> Lastly, people can really help you. People can really help you. If you've got a real need, that's what we see right here. When, anytime anybody had a need, it was met by this family. But how do you meet a need that you don't know about? You know, if you're struggling with your bills, tell somebody. Now, it may be that you're just overspending, and we may help you with that, but it may be that you've got a real issue, like you had a medical emergency, and there's a big bill, and you need help. And if you need help, let us help. People can really help you. Thirdly, so we talked about being devoted to each other, loving each other genuinely. And lastly, I just want to say this. This is what family does. If we want to be a family at Mountain View, here's what family does. We welcome outsiders to the table. I want you to get the imagery here for a minute, okay? It can't just be enough seats in the place for just you and me. We've got to welcome outsiders to the table and people who we think don't belong, like people who probably we wouldn't connect with or maybe, but they're welcome here. And again, it's not a place, it's a people, right? They're welcome to be a part of family. 
And we welcome outsiders in and we invite them to become a part of us. We just welcome them in. Let them feel wanted and welcomed and loved and accepted. And There's this beautiful thing about gospel hospitality that just really shows the beauty of Jesus and His love. He welcomes. I mean, think about these guys that He did life with and He brought to His table. I mean, even at the Last Supper, He's got a guy right there that's about to betray Him. And you know He washed His feet. Outsiders welcomed at the table. So how do you help Mountain View Church become a family? We are family, but I I want us to be real. I want us to put the masks away. I want us to be authentic with each other. I want us to be vulnerable and honest and truthful. How does that happen? We've got to start doing life together. Like there's got to be more overlap in our worlds than just once a week. I mean, this is good. It's great. It's beautiful. And I love it. And we've got to continue having this Sunday gathering, but there's got to be breaking of bread in one another's homes. There's got to be real fellowship. There's got to be real conversations that will lead to deep prayer. There's just got to be more overlap of our lives. One of the ways we need to do that is in small group. That's one of the ways we've got to to establish and start some small groups so that every person in this room can plug in and be a part of a small group. But a lot of us being a family just depends on you and how willing you are to let love be genuine, to put down masks, to be devoted to the body, like to be a devoted family member. To put down the mask and take the risk of talking about your failures, talking about life, talking about Jesus, embracing each other in that kind of real relationship. A lot of it just depends on you and me. And then we can't become a clique. We've got to welcome the outsider. There's this thing that happens. It's dangerous. You know, we start really loving each other well. Everybody gets real protective of that, of that group. You know, it's like, hey, man, these people actually love me. If we let him in, that might really mess this up. <laughs> no, he needs that too. And so when the outsider comes in, you don't put up guards and, and learn, you know, to trust him again. You just take the risk. Hey, man, I'm so glad you're here. We were just talking about how I'm struggling with sin. You welcome in an outsider. You let them feel like family because they need family. We all need family. Here's the thing. Jesus commands it and He enables it. This is the kind of community and love that we cannot manufacture You cannot do the things that Jesus is commanding us to do when He says, I'm I'm a new commandment that I give you. You love one another just as I've loved you. You can't do it unless He enables you with His Spirit. So Jesus, if you're a born-again believer, He has sent His Spirit to dwell in you. So be yielded to Him. 
fight the urge to build walls and build bridges. Be yielded to the Spirit of God who's constantly telling you, take the risk. Just be yourself. Just be real. Be honest. Let's press in and be the family God's called us to be. Amen.